Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course wisewomanschool.com You can also just go to her website susanweed.com where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you and welcome Susan. And thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca, and welcome, Catherine. So next week, (laughs) Catherine will be on here. It's been taking (laughs) some time for us to connect because we're both, like, so busy, but, yeah. Totally understand. It's not a problem. And it's 
Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow, the morning started out sunny and 60 degrees. Now it is raining and the temperature is falling fast and they are wind is blowing and they're actually saying watch out for tornadoes. Oh. Tornadoes, wow. Mhm. That's something we don't get out here. Do you have is that common in New York? Well, I was talking to somebody about it and she was talking to a meteorologist about it and he said, you know, tornadoes are actually common everywhere in the world. But you only really notice them if you live in a place that's flat. Mm-hmm. Because in places where there's a lot of surface features, you know, lakes and hills and stuff like that, um, they the tornadoes don't touch down as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have certainly, I don't know if you remember the linden tree right by the deck. And that the top had been taken off that linden tree by a tornado, which is why it has so many spreading branches that we can harvest from. Because lindens want oh. to grow, you know, like 150 feet tall and flower at the top. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I right? didn't remember that they, it had been hit by a tornado. But, yeah, I do mm-hmm. remember that tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and somebody... And turned me on to the new Chinese handshake, which is you touch feet. Ah. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> Have yep, you been... Yeah, someone forwarded uh, me this long thing from a virologist who has studied coronaviruses her whole life. And basically, it was 60 ways to say, don't touch anything, especially not your face. Mm-hmm. She said, a mask yeah. won't, won't save you from anything but yourself. That's what I've heard. Yeah. It can help people that have it to not spread it, I guess, is what somebody told me today. But, um, yeah, I had to go to the post office. I brought I brought yarrow spray with me just to spray my hands and stuff today. And um, what are you doing? To, are you not going into public very much, Susan? And well, fortunately for me, it is my off time, so I don't have to go into the public at all. Mhm. It's just me and the goats. So that keeps your immunity strong. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, with viruses and especially coronaviruses, which are colds and flus, the stronger your immunity, the more likely you are to die. Because you but die. But that doesn't necessarily mean you can't, like, nourish your immune system with, like, you know, healthy foods and take really good care of yourself. Right. Right. But you die from your own immune system's reaction to the virus. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a quixotic thing. Hmm. Certainly, if your immune system is very compromised, then that also you know could lead you. But the the death rate overall um, from the new coronavirus still running about two and a half percent. Mhm. 
Yeah, there were some deaths in Seattle, but it was at a. I haven't really been following it that much, but my. It was uh, at a nursing home. Mm-hmm. And the people who died were taking, you know, anti-rejection drugs. They were very compromised. Yeah, yeah, that's what I heard. So. So. We'll see what happens. How it spreads. Uh, it did make it into Portland. It's in our area. I mean, it hasn't made it into Eugene yet, but. Um, yeah, we'll mm-hmm. see what happens. So yeah. we're we're all being cautious. I'm. We actually took our kids out of school this week, and we're just uh, keeping them <laughs> keeping them close, just to just as a precaution. <laughs> yeah. Seems like a reasonable thing to do. Yeah, I don't think many people are doing that, and so we're like, are we overreacting? But then at the same time, our kids are so happy, and we're just <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, it's. Who knows what's Well, you have happen. the and option people... to do that because there's somebody there to be with the kids. Yeah, and there's so... As many families, there's two wage earners, so they have to be away all day, both of them. Yeah. Well, that's ha- that happens at our house, too. It's just uh, Sean works with folks with developmental disabilities, so he's he's able to... We're able to, like, work with... Have our kids around and kind of, like, switch off and... We make nice. it work. It's not easy, but <laughs> we make it work. Okay, but you don't have to go out and punch a time clock at some factory. No, I don't. Right. <laughs> That's what True. I mean. Right. It just would be mm-hmm. impossible to have your kids with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, the financial problems are going to be far worse than the health problems. Right. Yeah. So, hello, change. Yeah, I saw a picture somebody had taken of uh, the Trader Joe's today, and like the 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 aisles were stripped. You know, <laughs> the one here in Eugene, people are really getting freaked out, and and uh, I, I yeah, I don't know, it's crazy though, but <laughs> uh, yes, and I guess I think somebody told me that. That the big, big, big stores are totally um, sold out of toilet paper. Toilet paper and pasta, I guess, are the two big items. Toilet paper and pasta. Interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Reminds yeah. me of, of Y2K. Yeah. And my yeah, mentor, yeah. Jean Houston, chose to stockpile chocolate. She said, mm. the world is going to end. I want to be sure I have enough chocolate. Mm. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah, I always I know that you always have a big thing of chocolate, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> don't have to worry about that. Right. I was reading my uh, my new copy of Lesbian Connection today. Wonderful, wonderful periodical. And uh, somebody mm. wrote in and said, um, I I I just want to say that I no longer want to be part of the alphabet soup. You know. Oh right, because adding because letters it's just gotten, to the end. it's just gotten crazy now. And mm-hmm. our guest tonight is a longtime LGBTQ activist. See, Alphabet Soup. Mm-hmm. She a lesbian? Why don't we just say lesbian? It's okay. You don't have to be alphabet, she says in the letter. She said, I don't want to be part of that Alphabet Soup. I'm a lesbian. That's what I am. I'm not all those other things. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting, and I will bring that up with Kathleen Archambault who is one of the founding members of the Alphabet Soup Wing of the San Francisco Public Library. 
Yeah, there's just Probably so much means fancy, it wasn't like, alphabet soup when she founded it. There's a lot of fancy language right now around like the whole gender identity and all of that, and and naming people, you know, and it's just I I don't I don't like any of I don't like to be called anything <laughs> either. So I understand. Well, good news on that front. There is an in an international manifesto that is being sent around which says you have to understand that what's going on here is the elimination of women's rights. Mm -hmm. And we have worked for a long time now to get women's rights on the table and women's rights recognized are the right for women to control her reproduction, the right for women to be safe. And all of this stuff is totally trashing women's rights. And I've been saying for years, in fact, with good evidence, that is, in fact, the purpose of it. It's not the purpose to give more people more freedom. The purpose is to take away women's freedom. And so that's yeah, why I heard that, was, that was why I was really struck by this woman who said, I'm not alphabet soup. I'm a lesbian. I'm a woman. I heard a really interesting thought, and I'll just throw it out there, but it that it was uh, – that it's an AI thing too, that like making a non-gender person is something that like is in the interest of AI of them being able to put like robotic, um, like registering them as human beings, like robotic people or something like that. Like that's kind of like a long-term goal of AI. But um, I don't know. I just, I heard AI that. AI being that that not artificial insemination, but artificial intelligence. Yes, exactly. Okay, well, I, first I thought you meant artificial insemination. Oh, okay. Is AI. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So I thought that's what you were talking about. But, uh, you know, Rebecca, that is clearly paranoia. That clearly posits that there's some uber-ruling group that has something in mind. And that's just not how human beings are. Come on. Let's throw in with pronoia. The paranoia is the unjustified belief that bad things are going to happen and the world is out to get you. And pronoia is the equally unjustified belief that good things are going to happen and the world is out to help you. I've read the book. Really, when you I'm think aware. about it, aren't the vast majority of the people you know kind? Yeah, but help? I'm also aware of what's going on in the world as well. So, But I'm you not do not have to indulge yourself in paranoia. <laughs> I'm not being paranoid. I'm not paranoid. I don't live in paranoia. I'm just aware just, of what's going on. When you say that this is to put robots in people, that is paranoia. That right there is paranoia. Well, we'll see what nobody happens. Wants, I mean, nobody wants, to, nobody wants to put robots in people. As a matter of fact, I was just reading an uh, article in um, the Popular Science, I read both Popular Science and Scientific American this afternoon, and it, it was an article by a woman who had the first organized the first conference for scientists to talk about their moral obligations in terms of genetic manipulation. With the CRISPR technology, we can go right into the DNA and snip out pieces of it. However, I want to go take a step back. In sexual reproduction... The DNA, which is a double helix, yes? We know what that means, right? Mm -hmm. That means there's two strands of DNA joined, linked together. 
the sperm has one strand, the ovum has one strand. Those two strands come together to make the double helix and a new human being or a new guinea pig or a new giraffe or a new orchid. That's how sexual reproduction works. The sexual pieces that come together have only half of the DNA and they join together to make the whole DNA. In sexual reproduction, there are also chromosomes and one chromosome is called the X chromosome and one chromosome is called the Y chromosome. If the genetic material both have X's then every cell in the body of what is created will have two X's in it. Not CRISPR, not anything can change that. There is no way to truly change gender. If one has an X and one has a Y, then every cell in the body will have an X and a Y. There are no double Ys. That's non-viable. That doesn't result in anything. So a double X is a female, and XY is a male. Now, you can call those by anything you want. You can say double X is red, and XY is yellow. But the fact of the matter is that every cell in your body is either red or yellow, no matter what you want to call yourself. No matter what your mind says cannot be changed. At that level, you can dye your hair, you can have surgery, you can do whatever you want, but every cell in your body is still going to have that initial information, which is XX or XY. Mm-hmm. I hear you. And so the rest of it is just hot air. There is gender. Gender does operate. XX is female. XY is male. This is totally different from feminine and masculine, which are cultural constructs. I long ago, as anybody who knows me knows, gave up femininity because I saw that it was a social construct and I wasn't interested and instead chose to be female. And I hope that I have taught and brought into existence a long and sturdy line of women who understand that they are female no matter what they decide to look like. And I'm up for anybody looking like anything they want to look like and calling themselves anything they want to call themselves, just so long as we understand that you cannot change the sperm and the ovum you were made from. It starts with that joining of the sperm and the ovum. That's the first cell, and that cell replicates. And there's no changing it, ever. So we'll be interested in hearing from Kathleen Archambault about, um, oh, she, she is a lesbian. Her, her wife is, uh, she has a wife. Um, and they got uh, two bronze medals in same-sex ballroom dancing. All right. So uh, she's just written a book, and uh, we're going to hear from her in about 
an hour and ten minutes. So stay tuned or come back and find out what's going on out there in San Francisco. My singing lessons today, we sang, I left my heart <laughs> and told the often told story that uh, that song was first uh, offered to Frank Sinatra, who said, ah, no, nah, it's not a very good song, and we know what Tony Bennett did with it. You know the song I'm talking about, right? Um, I'm not sure. I left my heart in San Francisco. Oh, right. Right? Wonderful, wonderful song. Hmm. Hmm. So All we'll right. be talking... We'll be talking to Kathleen from San Francisco. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Yeah. Let's the first Meanwhile, I bet there's people with their hand raised who have pushed one. Yes, there are quite a few people with their hands raised. The first caller is coming from the 845 area code. Hi, Tatiana. Is that me? Hello. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Um. I feel strange about asking this question. I know everything about losing weight, but um, and I have to lose weight. My heart condition will be helped if I will be lighter, uh, up to 50 pounds. That will help. And uh, uh, the, I admit that I am not a diet person. I know everything about weight loss. The problem is I don't want to be on a diet of any kind. Um, I feel pretty upset about that. Uh, it has to do with health now, not with looks. Are you nourishing herbal infusions right now? Um, well, you know, I I drink linden tea. I take the tincture, the motherwort. And about tea or tincture, I'm talking about nourishing herbal infusions. It's a different thing. A nourishing herbal infusion is made with one full ounce by weight of dried herb. It's steeped for at least four hours in one quart of boiling water. Usually I weigh out the herb, put it in a quart jar, fill it to the top of boiling water, put a lid on it, and go to bed. What should I infuse? I would like you to rotate through stinging nettle, Oat straw, red clover, comfrey leaf, and hibiscus. And continue to drink your linden tea. Linden tea is wonderful. I can't drink so many things, for God's sake. I'm suggesting that you have one of these herbs per day. Oh, 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 okay. That you rotate through them. Uh-huh. Tomorrow you have nettle. The next day you have oat straw. The okay. day after that you have red clover. The day okay. after that you have comfrey leaf. The day after that you have hibiscus. Should you somehow not manage to finish your quart in a day, and I encourage you to drink the entire quart in a day, then you finish that up the next day and drink whatever the herb of that day is going to be. So there are five herbs, and you will rotate through them. You can drink your nourishing herbal infusion cold. You can drink it hot. You can put honey in it. You can put whiskey in it. You can put fruit juice in it, whatever you want. 
And if you will get up in the morning and drink 8 to 12 ounces of nourishing herbal infusion for breakfast, you will get more vitamins, more minerals, more protein than you would if you ate breakfast, and you will get all of that for five calories. And I can eat after that breakfast whatever I want. No. Oh, no. (laughs) That's going to be my breakfast? That is your breakfast, correct. That's your breakfast. (sighs) And then you can have whatever you want for lunch, so long as it's with another 8 to 12 ounces of nourishing herbal infusion. Oh, I see. I see. Should you be hungry in the afternoon, you will have another glass of nourishing herbal infusion. Mm -hmm. And again... It's hard for you to believe, but I know from personal experience and I know from the experience of thousands of other people that drinking 8 to 12 ounces of nourishing herbal infusion is more satisfying than eating. Wow. That's new. Thank you. You are not going to feel deprived in any way. You are not going to say, wow, I'm really hungry now. You're going to say, whoa, I feel really good now. How much I put in one infusion uh, quart, uh, how, how much of the you herb? A scale? Do you have a scale that you can use? No, but I have a spoon. No spoon, scale. Oh. You must buy um, a scale. A little scale, a postage scale. They're pretty inexpensive. You want an electronic scale. And you want one that has a -A T-A-R-E, a tear function. And you put your quart jar on the scale. You push T-A-R-E. And the scale says zero. It takes away the weight of the jar. You put your dried herb in until it says one ounce. Okay. You take your jar off the scale, turn your scale off, put it away. Your water by now has boiled. You pour your boiling water to the top of the jar, put a lid on it, and let it steep overnight or for a minimum of four hours. Four hours. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. You can do it overnight. That's not a problem. That's that's the way most people do it. Easy. And drink it next morning. Then Then you're ready for the next day. Exactly. Wow. That's news. Thank you so much. You are going to get a huge amount of vitamins, minerals, protein that will carry you through, maintain a solid and equitable blood sugar mm-hmm. for virtually no calories. All right. So, and that's how we lose weight, isn't it? So if I do that every morning, what time can I have lunch? Like 12 or 11 or 1 o'clock? Whenever you're hungry. Well, I am hungry all the time. <laughs> not, not all the time. <laughs> Again, I know it's hard to believe, but once you start drinking nourishing herbal infusion, and so I call it nourishing herbal infusion, you yeah. are not going to feel that hunger. Oh my that God. hunger is a blood sugar dip as well as the release of a hormone ghrelin. And the nourishing herbal infusions maintain even blood sugar and damp down the production of that hunger hormone. Mm-hmm. So comfrey is the entire name of, of the herb, or the, there was another word next to comfrey? Leaf. 
Oh, leaf, leaf. Okay, comfrey leaf. Leaf of the comfrey because both the root and the leaf are sold. And I want to make sure you get the leaf. The comfrey leaf. And then hibiscus, red clover, oat straw, and stinking nettle. Thank you. You are welcome. I will try that. And over uh, over the course of a day, how would you characterize your activity? Well, uh, I hate to complain, but because I hurt, I don't act except in the minimal way. I mean, I told you I go to the gym, and now I talk to the gym master there, and I said that my hip hurts and I can't walk and all this. He's going to put me on a program of doing everything lying on my back, but I have a problem walking. It hurts. Uh And your hip hurts because there's some functional thing going on? Well, everybody's telling me that if I lose 50 pounds, my hip will hurt less, Uh, you know, yes or no. Not functional. Uh, do Do you have the access to have more massages? Uh. I think I have the access. I don't have the money. <laughs> That's what I mean by access. Yeah. And the money is part, partly, you know, <laughs> part of access. Yeah. So what I sometimes suggest is if if funds are limited, mm-hmm. that you have a massage if you're in chronic pain at least once a month and do your best to be really present for that massage mm-hmm. so that at least, Every week, you can lay down and go over in your mind as though you were getting that massage. Really remember every bit of it. My mentor, Jean Houston, that I mentioned before, was married to a really interesting man named Bob Masters. And he was especially interested in helping people who had had strokes be able to function again. And he found that if he sat next to someone who had had a devastating stroke and said to them, you are lifting your left arm, you are lifting it and pointing to the ceiling, now you are lowering your left arm, now you are raising your right arm and pointing at the ceiling, and now you are lowering it. And he would he would sit with people who'd had strokes so they could not move at all and simply tell them what they were doing, and they recovered four to eight times faster. Oh, yes, I know about that from Feldenkrais. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So that's what I'm saying. Buy yourself one massage and then really use your memory of that massage. The unfortunate part is I can't get anybody to touch me. My skin is shingled out. Uh, Reiki, I tried somebody to give me distant Reiki. and uh, you have shingles over every part of your body? No, I don't have the shingles. I have the post-neuralgia pain of it. I don't have the shingles. The shingles are gone. Okay. But, so it's it, not that you can't get someone to touch you. It's that you do not want to be touched. It hurts. I mean, the, the cats and the dog love me. And the moment they come and put a paw on me, I hurt. Uh-huh. Uh, and yeah. and does hypericum tincture take away any of that pain? No, not yet. But I and I does and does does CBD take away any of that pain? No, it didn't. 
I tried those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I understand. I'm just reading a very interesting um, article about um, that name of the article is Reframe Your Pain. Scientists have long known that pain is created by the brain. You would be offended if someone said your pain was all in your brain, but the truth of the matter is that's the truth. It doesn't mean your pain isn't real. It just means that your brain is creating your pain, and if you're in chronic pain, your brain is perpetuating it. So I challenge you to stop thinking of yourself as someone who can't be touched, someone who's in horrible pain, and start using a mantra that I use, which is every day in every way I experience less pain. Okay. Can you say that? Yeah, every day in every way I experience less pain. There you go. That sounds like poetry. That doesn't it? (laughs) Every time you find yourself saying, "I, you know, I can't be touched or these things, which I'm not denying are valid for you, you're going to replace it with every day in every way I am in less pain. Yeah. Right? And, And as we create it, so it is. Because pain is created by the brain, and we're going to change our brains. Yeah, I, I do. I do put something with mint on my skin, uh, and that's how I fall asleep. And then I wake up. Uh, the effect it lasts for about an hour. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Have lots of homework. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I know you'll call back. I really appreciate your calling back and keeping in touch. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you, Susan. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 970 area code. And if you're interested in that article, that article is in the March-April 2020 issue of Arthritis Today, the magazine written for people in chronic pain. One of the hundred periodicals I subscribe to. Next caller. Are you there in the 970? Um, looks like we'll go to the next one and call, come back to that one. The next I caller I heard a very faint voice. Oh, you did? I thought 970, <laughs> faint, faint, faint voice. Sure, we'll Maybe open not. it back up. Hold on. 970, are you there? Hmm. No faint voice. Let's go on. Okay. Uh, the 828 area code. Hello, this is Maretta Susan. Hi, Maretta. It was so good to oh, talk. Oh, I'm a friend of the world, Susan. <laughs> oh my gosh, I couldn't believe I got your book and that I read it. And I never had much, you know, significant problems with my blood pressure, although I did have some in May, but it was a one incident, so I didn't take it seriously. But this time I had 
suddenly, like 170, you know, the high number was 170. And um, my uh, and I have it like a housemate, and she, I told her immediately, because I read this in your book, abundantly well about the beet juice. And I happened to have cooked beets. And she uh, put them through the blender and made sort of a creamy thing out of it and diluted a little bit with water. And I drank that. And I happened to have um, hawthorn and dandelion root uh, tincture and motherwort and passion flower. I happened to have it all here and... You know, obviously, it's because I'm an herbalist. I believe in herbs. So I have it all right in my house. Even though I don't haven't really particularly used any of these. And so I was shaking so much that I couldn't do anything myself. And I just told her what to do. And the first thing I did was uh, the beet juice. And uh, over the... Uh, night it went down from 170 to 126 blessed be blessed be you said it and then but uh, even 126 is high for me usually my blood pressure is not more than 110 for the very most uh huh and and so uh I, and after that, it one incident, I didn't take it seriously. So right. I thought, you know, it'll go away. You know, it happened before, half a year ago, and and so forth. And it happened again. Right. This, yeah, it happened. Yeah, it happened again. And this time, I went to the. There was a couple of days later. This time, I went to the hospital. I drove there myself. It was 170 when I drove. When I got there, it was 126. So then I laid on the bed, and they said, well, you know, it's been going up and down and all this. And by then, my son-in-law got there, and my two daughters was on the phone. My granddaughter's uh, doctor also was on the phone, and... and, uh, then they told me what they were going to do to help me with this heart condition. And um, they told me, well, that I should spend the night there and uh, that uh, they're going to do some kind of stress test. But because of my knees, they couldn't you know, put me on a treadmill and they, they would put all these uh, stress, uh, you know, stress uh, hormones into my body. So it helps stress out my heart to see uh, where my heart was really at. And at that point, I said to them, could you take my blood pressure again? And it went up to 157 immediately. I realized that I must be very reactive and also to, uh, and I immediately said, uh, uh, I immediately said I'm leaving when it was 157. I said, I'm leaving. And and then a few minutes later, I said, could you take my blood pressure again? Um, 
it was 133. So I left with it being 133, had my um, had my um, uh, son-in-law get me back, meet me back. I drove back to the house, my house, meet me at my house, and because my housemate wasn't here, I was going to spend the night in my daughter's house. So I picked up all the uh, beet juice that I had made. I picked up all my all the stuff. I came back, took the beet juice. It was like I was so nervous with 170. I didn't even take the beet juice. I just ran to the hospital. Took the beet juice. Took the path on, and and he was waiting for me while I was doing all this. And you know, brought skull cap and took motherwort and had passion flower. He I brought. Went over to her house. And spent the night while taking all this stuff and brought the speed juice with me. And and the next morning, you know, it was down to normal. And so what I realized is that it probably looks like I need to do this every day. And it, uh, and so. You certainly can't really start taking it. Stuff with beet juice, the herbs you mentioned. The what? You can't hurt yourself by doing beet juice and the herbs you mentioned on a daily basis. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, I've tried, you know, uh, this this is really, and also the dandelion roots, do you think that's all right to do that on a daily basis? Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, but mostly I stay on mother ward and, um, Hawthorn, and uh, today also had some blueberries, which oh yay, yeah, and I and I tried um, cooked beets on an empty stomach first thing in the morning, and it was an amazing feeling of that I could feel all my veins opening. Up and down my legs. Wow. It was such a profound experience. And it wasn't an empty stomach, and that worked very well. Then this morning, I did beet juice, uh, raw beet juice from a juicer. I did eight ounces. And now it could have been uh, because I have a... uh, kind of an emotional situation that it kind of made me a little sick to my stomach. And, uh, but then I remember, and then I had the beet juice and I felt sort of a little slightly nauseous. But I, I, of course, immediately made some ginger, you know, hot ginger tea and drank that and then I was all right. But then I also realized that I was into a certain amount of blame and I and then I remember what you read. You can see I read this book quite a bit because, but Elizabeth, uh, uh, what's her name? Elizabeth Roger. She said something about we feel safer. We feel that the world is a safer place if we can blame, or if we feel guilt, or if we feel something like that because. Then we feel we can control things when, in fact, the world is chaos. And I 
thought about that for a minute, and uh, I guess with the ginger and the and cougar uh, rosh, you know, just a bit cougar rosh. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, that's exactly what it is. Everything that I'm worried, you know, about came. It has nothing really to do with me, but it has to do with my two kids and their father. So it is a concern to me, and for uh, the cares. And obviously, everything was well-meaning or whatever, but it, it happened to turn out to become chaos. And I thought to myself, well, that's, you know, that's it. We had to accept chaos. And they're trying to straighten out chaos. <laughs> so, <laughs> good luck with that. But <clears throat> nevertheless, uh, then that went away, and I thought that was an amazing thing. And my blood pressure has been, you know, good all day, and it's great now. And, um, you know, there's a lot of anxiety that goes along with suddenly mm-hmm. having uh, high blood pressure, you know, on mm-hmm. a daily basis when you've never had it before. Mm-hmm. And usually when it gets, the anxiety gets worse is at night. Yeah. So... You know, I have actually asked everybody to not call me with any kind of disturbing uh, unless they have to and to do it before 12 noon and uh, and to not make any phone calls, you know, from like a 9 or 9.30 or anything like that when I'm, you know, going to bed. But it's a, uh, it's a, a, a worrisome thing. And anxiety-producing things. So I feel like I, you know, I stay on the mother walk three times a drop of full, three times a day. Nice, very nice. I think I think that if you want to do raw beet juice, that you should keep it to no more than one ounce. To no more than one ounce. Yeah. I mean, what about if it is? yeah, because that was um, a little overwhelming for some reason or another. So just so you recommend eight ounces, but you're now saying that just do one ounce of raw. If it's going to be raw, yes. The first time you used it, it was cooked, right? Yeah. Yeah. And every time I've used it, when it's cooked, and you know, here it goes with what you're always saying about raw visa via cooked, you know. When it was cooked, it totally agreed with me and had a tremendous effect. Yeah. I mean, I really, really, uh, I was completely blown away by the effect because the warmth that it had in, you know, the circulation that was created, especially because I've had a lot of knee problems, as you know, where I've done bone broth, and I could feel like all the veins opening up, and obviously that is so much better for that knee that, you know, that you know that the blood flow is so great. And, and um, so I just felt like as if it really helped my, you know, helped my knees at the, you know, at the same time. And it might be that opening up the arteries like that will bring a lot more nutrients, you know, to them and, and to everywhere. Yes. And, and energetically, uh, I have, you know, I'm come from Denmark. We have had beets on the table every lunch and dinner. We have beets, uh, you know, as a condiment on the table 
Uh, it's just an old way of an old country that uh, insisted that this is. So my mother always had it on the table every lunch and every dinner. And, and but to but and then I I have been eating them because I'm you know but I kind of slack off eating them for a couple of months and um, you know I I steam them and then I put them up with some olive oil and uh, apple cider vinegar and when I made the juice and uh, and uh, cooked uh, beets. Uh, you know, uh, juice too. I put a little apple cider vinegar in in it because I feel it makes it taste so much better. So I, apo- I apologize if I was unclear, but what I actually say is eight ounces of beet juice cooked or raw daily, not at once. Oh, I said, oh, I see. Just what uh, you're saying. Your mother saw to it that you got beets a lot of beets on a daily basis, but not a whole bunch at once. No. Twice. Twice so a day. What I'm saying is that eight ounces of juice at once is too much for you. Yeah. So uh, what What should I have? How many ounces of juice should I have? If you're going to do ounce? the juice, I would start with one ounce and see if you get the effect you want with that. And if you want to do that several times a day, that's no problem. If you continue to have adverse reactions to it, then use it cooked. Because I, personally, I, I think it's more effective cooked. But, you know, whatever you want, I, it just, from what you're saying, it sounds yeah. like eight ounces of raw beet juice all at once totally overloaded you. Yeah. It made me feel nauseous. But whether I was already nauseous, because I was very nauseated by a certain situation, and until I kind of thought about that. uh, that, uh, So what you're saying is keep it down to uh, one ounce, even cooked? Yes. And also, you know, what I did was uh, at one day I did try to do it. I, you know, I uh, pureed it, you know, and... And added water to it, and then I but had it several times a day. I put it in the refrigerator and had it several times a day. What I'm saying is you're not going to do something because of what I say. You're going to do something because of what you feel and how your body feels. Yeah. And I am saying this because of what you've told me. You told yeah. me you drank ounces of raw beet juice, and it made you have adverse reactions. You told me that you had a or cooked beet smoothie, right, that they were blended, it was blended up in a blender, and that you didn't have a reaction to that. So no, it was good. It was wonderful. I'm suggesting something to you, I'm reflecting back to you what you're telling me. Yeah. That it seemed to work better for you, that eight ounces of raw juice at one time is too much and would probably be too much for almost anybody. Yeah. It would be like taking four nitroglycerin tablets instead of one. Yeah. It's just yeah. So what you what you wrote here is, you said daily. You didn't say at once. You know, one time. But however, um, I had quite a bit the first time, and it was sure worked. <laughs> I do apologize for being terse. But there was so much information I wanted to put into this book that it did not give me a lot of room for long explanations. 
Yeah, no, no, but it is. It says it says eight ounces of beet juice cooked or raw daily. It didn't say, you know, at once. At once. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. There were a lot of people with their hands raised. So I'm going to thank you and say green blessings for tonight. Yeah, and I'm, thanks a million for publishing this book just in the right moment, you know. Love you thank so. You. God bless, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Bye. The next call is coming from the 917 area code. Hello? 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 Hi. Can you uh, hear me? How? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Ah, so delighted to be here. Thank you so much for, for doing this for us. Um, I would like to talk about blood. Um, I um, just basically last last year, this is a, a Susan Weed testimonial. Um, I um, uh, fifty one years old, and just from January until April, this is before someone gave me the new menopausal years. Um, I was flooding, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know the word flooding. I was just calling it buckets of blood or carry, sort of turning bathrooms into, into um, crime scene type of blood um, really, really badly. My family finally said, you know, you have got to go in for surgery. So I made the appointment, you know, um, and somehow the, the hospital, believe it or not, messed up the surgery date. In the meantime, someone gave me your book. I started the herbs. The bleeding stopped immediately, of course. I, by the way, before I started the herbs, had been taking uh, vitamins and supplements to try and fend off the blood, and it was not working at all for your, for your, anybody here on, on the call. Um, I think that's an interesting thing. I also, by the way, have, have a gaggle of fibroids, seven, seven uh, rather large fibroids that I think exasperated everything. Um, anyway, long story short, the herbs helped so much. I'm really hoping to tip over into my crone, my you know crone years here. But I still, um, even though the the bleeding has has tapered off enormously, um, I am still bleeding very irregularly. But if I bleed, it will be um, for a few weeks at a time, and but not very much, just like a little bit. And then just to throw in a little extra thing, which is I have a 16-year-old daughter, and when I bleed, she bleeds, and she also has been experiencing elongated periods. She also will bleed for like two weeks. So we seem to be in some kind of a strange sink with this blood, and I just wondered to hear your thoughts on that. I, I um, And then the only other piece is I'm a little confused on the herbs. The doctor, who I said, who, who called and tried to figure out why I wasn't in the surgery, and I told her that the hospital messed things up, and I had started taking herbs, and her first response was, oh, be careful with those herbs. Some of them are highly hormonal, and I've seen people come in with ovarian cancer after going on herbal medicine. Um, so I, I'm, I do my nettle that, that infusion. Since I am shocked. Ah. I know. I, I I knew enough to discount that. 
but it did in the back of my mind make me wonder, you know, so I just might, I, I'm only really doing nettle, uh, nettle infusions. Um, so that's my, my story. Be very clear. No herb contains human hormones. Okay. Because they're not humans, are they? They're not even mammals. Right, right. So herbs cannot contain human hormones. Okay. Have what are called hormonal precursors. This is why we can make birth control pills out of wild yam. Right. Right? Because they contain precursors. But you don't take wild yam and it has the effect of birth control, right? Right. Right. You have to put... So they wouldn't cause cancer. <laughs> through a very complicated laboratory process, which takes two days and requires fermentation. Mm-hmm. The plant parts that have these hormonal precursors are the roots of plants and the seeds of plants. Mm-hmm. So carrots and dandelion root and soybeans and peanuts and rice and almonds, and sesame seeds, and puppy seeds, and sunflower seeds, and potatoes, and sweet potatoes, any root contains these hormonal precursors. Uh-huh. Okay. So is she really suggesting that you eat a diet which would be primarily meat containing no roots and no seeds? I don't think somehow. Well, all, all she knows is have a hysterectomy, and she doesn't know anything but that. Exactly. Or as one MD put it, doesn't she understand that once we remove her uterus, she'll be cured? <laughs> and I always All wanna... I can say is that your book, uh, thank God that the hospital botched my date and someone but, gave me the book. And blessed be that they do what they know to do. That they don't know everything, well, some will admit it and some will yeah. not. So you have described what I have heard from tens of thousands of women or age and stage, which is that virtually everyone has, as you know correctly, buckets of blood or drip drip. Okay. Okay? So strange as it may be, it's normal. Because you are entering a time of life when nothing is going to seem normal at all. Yeah. I call pause the second puberty, and it's just as disturbing as the everything yeah. you are and how you are and what you like and want is like out the window. And it's mm-hmm. with waking up at odd times and crying at odd times. Buckets of blood and drip, 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 and strange. And so my next question is, are you drinking nourishing herbal infusions? Yes, just nettle, though. Okay. Because you're afraid of oat straw? No, 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 I'm I'm not afraid. I ran out of it a while ago. I'm going to get more. Get some more. All right. Yeah. All right. So it's not that you're afraid of the other herbs. It's just that you ran out of them, but you're getting more. 
Right. I ran out of them, and then in the back of my mind was that comment. So I just, you know, it was like almost a subconscious thing. That's why I would call. But he knows absolutely nothing about herbs frighten you? Exactly. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but I, uh, well, yes, I think it's actually quite fascinating that we really allow ourselves to be sold health care based on fear. Suppose you went I to know. I agree with you. If you don't buy this apple, you're going to die. I know. We wouldn't stand for it. And yet we nope. let... And let we, we let medical professionals treat us that way. It's absurd. I know, and they call us witches. Well, we are witches. Wish they would be. <laughs> I know, but they are also using, you know, using crazy spells, but in a very bad way. But anyway. Um, anyway. But yes, so, so okay. Been taught, Absolutely. They have been taught to be afraid and... You said the magic word, herbs. Yes. And it's one of the reasons why I call them nourishing herbal infusions. Yes. And interesting that you bring this dear friend who um, went through cancer treatment. Her husband went through cancer treatment, and she... And the people at the very large hospital in Manhattan... um, by the time he was a month into it, were saying to her, we have never seen anybody get this far into the treatment, so three-month-long treatment of radiation and chemotherapy, um, and opioids and steroids, and oh my gosh. Um, so we've never seen anybody this far along in the treatment who is so healthy and is doing so well, and the blood work is amazing, because usually by this point, giving them totally crash out the minerals are really strong enough you doing because they knew she was doing something. The results they were getting were not normal And she looked at them and she thought, I'm not going to say the word herb because I'm going to put them in touch. Right. So she just smiled and she said, I'm giving him witchy brews. <laughs> and they were fine with that because they didn't yeah. have any but witchy causing ovarian cancer or anything else, right? Right. Please, if we knew what caused ovarian cancer, all cheer. At this point, we still don't know what really causes cancers. And ovarian yeah. cancer is now because by the time it's in the ovaries, it's spread tubular cancer. It starts in the egg tubes. Mm-hmm. And spreads to the ovaries, and that's why it's so lethal, because once it is spread to the ovaries, it's a spreading cancer. Right. Right? So it's not really ovarian cancer at all. And had a brain tumor, which was successfully removed, and then two said, we're so sorry to say that this is a metastasis of your lung And he had no idea he had lung cancer, which he So it's not ovarian cancer, and herbs don't cause it. And using nourishing herbs, what doctors have been taught about herbs is herbs can be poisonous, which is true. Most people mm-hmm. take herbs in capsules, which is true, and that poisonous herbs in capsules are, are very dangerous, which is true. Right. And so as soon as you said that word herb to her, 
that was the whole thing that came into her taking dangerous herbs powdered in capsules. No, you're not taking witchy fruits. Yes. You're eating your medicine. Yes. And so the so the trickling of blood is just going to. I just I thought I thought that that it was going to be buckets of blood or the trickle. I didn't know I had to be getting buckets of blood and trickling for years and years and years. I seem to be a woman who likes to take things to extremes, and that's all right. (laughs) We always need women to take things to extremes. (laughs) Yes, well, this is true. Thank you, you know. I uh, at the at the Wise Woman Center one summer um, at a um, Green Goddess Week where we do goddess presentations on Saturday night. One of the women set herself up behind a screen, and she came prepared to do this presentation because she had with her, I don't know, maybe fifty yards of red silk. Oh, wow. And from behind the screen, she started tossing these out, right? But it's one mm-hmm. long thing, right, with red silk scarves, in, right? And from <laughs> yelling, I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding. And this goes for like five Perfect. minutes. It's like, oh, and we're all going, oh, God, I remember, you know, because that happens at puberty, too. I remember. Right, so my daughter's bleeding is normal, too, her two weeks. Well, I just suddenly, you know, like the world was soaked in blood. I'm like, I cannot even get up from this chair because there's going to be a pool of blood in my chair. Yeah. Right? And then I didn't flood it menopause. I did the drip drip. But I sure remember. I like to just suddenly have the floodgate open up and boom. Right, there's all that blood. And do is keep on drinking your nettle, right? Make sure that you're getting... Um, enough meat in your diet? So did you have enough heat? Enough what? Enough meat in your diet. Oh, no, I'm not. I, I stopped eating meat. Well, that's part of the reason why you're flooding. Oh. Meat contains a substance called ME. Blood contains heat. In fact, it doesn't have to be meat. You could just eat blood. That would be fine. No blood. They say Okay. Blocks of blood in Spanish markets. But most Americans don't like to be told to eat blood. Liver is the closest thing you can get to eating blood. Well, if I could put it in a blender with some beet juice. There you go. And But you want that heme from the blood because it makes hemoglobin, and you can't make heme. And hemoglobin carries and G to every... I mean, you don't have enough cheese bleed out. Your body can't hold on to the energy and it can't hold on to the blood. Goodness, okay. Interesting, thank you. Yes. And so my daughter should be eating some red meat every once in a while too. Yes, heme is a limiting nutrient. Mm -hmm. must receive it as a gift from other things that have blood. In the same way that vitamin B12 is a limiting nutrient. We cannot make it. We only get it from 
plants don't make vitamin B12. Mm-hmm. And vitamin B12 is... Well, lack of vitamin B12 turns out to be one of the biggest reasons that adults are diagnosed with dementia. It's not dementia at all. It's simply lack of B12 in adequate mm-hmm. amounts in the diet or in, in a built digestive system to get it from the diet. So... So we eat red meat to stop bleeding. Yes. Huh. I would never have thought that. It's sort of homeopathic in a certain way. Have you ever held the hand of a vegan and thought to yourself, wow, their hand is cold? (laughs) Actually, yes. Of course. Yes, yes. Okay. And that's because they are dying from periphery in their hand because those cells are not getting nutrient or oxygen because they came and heme makes hemoglobin which carries an energy to every cell in the body and the body or so when their heme is limited get heme blood energy to the core of the body the arms and legs and hands and feet fall off so be Oh my goodness! Yes. Okay. So, so like once a week type of thing. You'll know. Do you, it, do you personally eat meat um, more than once a week? I like if I buy an organic chicken, I'm not going to buy mm-hmm. a chicken. That's a good way to get food mm-hmm. poisoned. I'm going to buy a whole chicken and and, eat, and have it for a week. Okay. Right, and it may take me a whole a whole week to, to every meal. Mm-hmm. Think about our ancestors, you know. Wow. Got a buffalo. Yep. What do you think it takes in a whole community to eat a buffalo? It takes some time to eat that buffalo. Right? right? And you don't have to you don't have to schedule. People say to me, Well, I haven't in such a long time, my system certainly wouldn't know what to do with it. You are so wrong. Your system knows best what to do, but it's you. You are meat. <laughs> and I know hundreds of vegans who say I have gotten up in very, very and it that they go eat meat and who have and have come O-M Once I got the first bite of that in my mouth, my body took over. I have never mm-hmm, felt a mm-hmm. urge. So let your body tell you. Mm-hmm. You've been trying to make your body do what your mind wants. Now let your mind do what your body wants. Thank you so much. Green blessings. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 715 area code. What a lot of great calls. Hi, I think that's me. Hi, I think that's me. Hmm. Welcome. Welcome. Hi. Um, Hi. I have a question. Um, I am new to this podcast and um, to a lot of your work, but um, just started drinking the uh, Nourishing Herbal Infusions. And those are awesome. 
Um, I'm calling because I have, um, I experienced heart arrhythmias. Um, I'm 36 years old. I've been experiencing those since I was about 10. And I was just curious if you've ever directly worked with somebody with a heart arrhythmia and if they've ever been to, if they've ever been able to kind of overcome it, I guess. Yes, I certainly have worked with people with heart arrhythmia. And it, in in fact, arrhythmia, or lack of rhythm, um, is another word, general word for disease. Because all parts uh-huh. of our body are right? I'm sorry, all parts what? All parts of our being are rhythmic. Have a rhythm. Yes. Right? Not just our heart. Yes. People whose nervous right. system is, is rhythmic are like, ooh, 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 you know? So we want to be rhythmic because that is healthy. And so all over the world, but especially in China and India, herbs that restore rhythm have been a focus. Those herbs are currently known as adaptogens. The current definition of an adaptogen is a herb that causes no harm, even if taken daily, even if taken in quantity, that normalizes function, bringing up what is down, bringing down what is up. Hawthorne is possibly the world's greatest adaptogen for the heart. I have a question about Hawthorne. Um, I actually just tried to make an infusion yesterday. Um, And I felt, my throat felt so constricted as I drank it that I I had to stop drinking it. And I was wondering if you've ever heard of such a thing. Hawthorne did you use? Um, It was the Hawthorne berries. So I had a real. It felt it felt very sticky and very um, stringent. Just a really bad feeling in my throat. Stringent. Um, I don't know. Different than that, because like the red clover has kind of an astringent taste, but it doesn't bother me at all. Um, but the yeah, hawthorn, it was almost like I had an allergy or something. Well, it comes from a different thing. What's in the red clover is tannin, and what's in in the hawthorn is something else. I will tell you personally that I strongly prefer the tincture. I've never okay. enjoyed Hawthorne infusion. And okay. Eagle Song and I still joke about the uh, time she picked me up. Uh, I flew to the West Coast to be part of her wonderful Pacific Women's Herbal Conference. And I said, ooh, what infusion did you bring? Did you bring? And she said, Hawthorne. And she handed me a you know, quart jar, and I took a swallow, and I couldn't speak for about four hours. Oh, my God. It was so It, like, stuck my tongue to the roof of my mouth and my teeth to my lips, my throat to itself. It was just like... Yes, that's that's exactly how I felt. Right. I still about it. I said, well, you're trying to shut me up. She said, no, no, it doesn't do that to me. I was like, well, it sure did to me. <laughs> oh, wow. 
<laughs> well, that was another question I had because um, I have never been able to comfortably take tinctures, it seems like. Um, alcohol is a very bad feeling in my body. Um, actually, alcohol can even kind of bring on the arrhythmia for me. The tinctures you've been taking are made with grain alcohol, am I right? Yes, correct. I I personally would never take a tincture made with grain alcohol. Okay. Because so grain vodka. Al- it's lethal. It can kill you. Your body is mm. having the right reaction. It's saying, excuse me, this is a deadly poison. Do not put this in here. Yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah, it is. You're right. Wow. Interesting. Um, is there is there any other form of Hawthorne I could take? One of one of my favorite apprentices, um, actually, there was a whole group of wonderful apprentices, and they all went off on an adventure, um, and a couple of them uh, helped form a, a really important community and uh, a, a big herbal business, and they were making tinctures with vodka. And then quite some few years ago, they decided they would switch to grain alcohol because they could get organic grain alcohol and they couldn't get organic vodka. And it was a big sadness to me. Mm-hmm. Because um, the Red Moon tinctures are just not what they were anymore because now they use grain alcohol. They're still wonderful tinctures, and they're still made with fresh plant material. They still do, you know, abide by the things that, that I taught them, and neither of the women who founded it, who were my apprentices, are there anymore. The business has been sold, and other people um, are doing it, um, you know, partly because of those changes and other changes. So it's wonderful that they still do single herbs and that they still do fresh herbs, but I'm very sad that they do grain alcohol because grain alcohol is lethal. I know that Catskill Mountain Herbals makes all of their tinctures in vodka. I also know that you are completely capable of making any tinctures you want in vodka. You can buy dried hawthorn berries, fill any size bottle, one-third full of those dried hawthorn berries, pour 100-proof vodka over it, put a top on it, put a label on it, and you have just made a tincture. Wow. How long does it take to be done? Six weeks. Okay. And um, dried is no no better than, or fresh is no better than dried? Fresh and dried are different with things like... Okay berries like hawthorn berries and elderberries and seeds like vitex berries which is basically just a seed there's not really that much difference between the fresh and the dried although when when we were out at the pacific women's herbal conference and there was lots of fresh hawthorn and we made some things with the fresh hawthorn it was quite the experience because it does react very differently than the dried hawthorn so it's a lot of fun to experiment mm. with with a leafy herb like skullcap i would never use dried and with roots, I prefer them fresh, but if push comes to shove, I'll use a dried root because both the seeds, right, which is the part that continues on, and the roots, which is another part that continues on, tend to be pretty much the same, fresh and dried. But the leafy, flowery parts are completely different. Okay. Okay. That's, that's very helpful. Yeah, you know, there, I have over 300 YouTubes of me out um Harvesting plants, identifying plants, making things with plants. It's so much fun and it's so easy. Mm-hmm. I have seen a couple, but I'll have to yeah. check out a few more. Probably even one of me making Hawthorne Berry Tincture. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> Favorite herbs. Um, so, of course, have a course on adaptogens because it is a very, you know, broad um, category of remarkable herbs, including Eleutherococcus, um, Coccus, Amla, Shisandra, Ginseng, just a lot of really wonderful plants that are adaptogens. And start with Hawthorne. But give yourself the task of learning a bit more about the adaptogens and see if there isn't another adaptogen or two that might not be a good friend to you. Okay. All right. Um, this this is also interesting because I I never realized until right now. Um, so I also have a circadian rhythm disorder, and I never I never connected that to also having a heart rhythm disorder. So. It, seems to be a real uh, rhythm disorder in my whole system. Um, and I'm wondering if the adaptogen could also help my circadian rhythm disorder. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Because, yeah, I, I can't go to bed before 8 in the morning sometimes. It's really bad. Well... Have you ever met someone like that? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And, and I take exception only to two words, it and bad, because I don't know what it uh-huh. is. And I, I think that it is referring to you, that somehow you're bad and you're not. You're not bad. You don't have to be exactly like any other human being to be okay. That's true. It just... When when you're out of rhythm with the rest of the world, it just can be very isolating. It can be very isolating. That's absolutely true. And so you have to make extra effort to not be isolated. Yes. <laughs> right? Right. Yes. It, it is true. It can be isolating, but it doesn't mean it has to be. True, true. Right. I am autistic, and I have learned that when I get to the point where I feel like I should bang my head against the wall, and I really do get to the point where I just really, really want to bang my head against the wall, I say, ah, this is an autistic moment. You are not seeing or hearing this the way a normal person would. Uh Drop it. And I just walk away from it. instead of trying to figure it out. Because that's why I want to bang my head, right? Because so I can get it into my head because I want to figure it out. Uh-huh. The last time this happened, I was trying to get an Uber, and my Uber app decided for some reason it did not like my credit card anymore, and it said you have to use another credit card. And it gave me the screen, and there was a box on the screen that said put your credit card there. So I did. I put my credit card on the box on the screen, Right. And it said, then, you know, it said, take a picture. And I took a picture, and it said, no, not good enough. So I turned the card over, and I did that. And it said, no, not good enough. So I turned, you know, the card from top to bottom. You know, I tried maybe eight different ways. <laughs> and because I couldn't totally drop it, you know, I just set it down and walked around, and I thought, what do they really want, you know? And then I realized, oh, they don't re- they're saying put your card here, but that's not what they mean. They want you to put your card down on a table and take a picture of it. Oh, right, yeah. 
But you see, my autistic brain, it says, put your put your card here, I put my card there. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and, you know, and point where I'm going to hit my head against the wall, and I said, okay, just get up and see if you can, like, be not autistic for a moment here and what figure out <laughs> what a so-called normal person would make of this. And I thought, oh, they don't, you know, they don't pay attention to what they're saying. When they say here, they yeah. don't mean here, they mean there. <laughs> so you yeah. are who you are. It's not bad. You aren't bad. And, yeah, when we're different, yes, you know, um, we have to make extra effort. It's true. Fortunately, we can. Yeah. But I might never be able to be an apprentice to you if I have a circadian rhythm disorder, right? <laughs> an apprentice arrived here, and she said, at the first talking stick, I really want your help. I'm constipated. And then I said, well, let's talk after talking sticks so that I can, we can do you know back and forth pretty easily. And so I said to her, what do you mean by constipated? Because people have you know widely varying ideas of what that is. She said, well, I have a bowel movement, I don't know, maybe six or seven times a year. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow, right? Like, what? <laughs> Did I really just hear you say that? And I said, okay, so you're going to eat what we eat, and you're going to drink nourishing herbal infusions, and you're going to report back to me about what's going on. She said, that's all? I said, that's all. Within a week, she came to Talking Stick. She said, I had bowel movements this morning. The next day, <laughs> she came to Talking Stick. She said, I had a bowel movement this morning. The next day, she came to Talking Stick, and she said, I had a bowel movement this morning. The next day, she came to Talking uh-huh. Stick. She said, I'm not going to talk about it anymore, okay? Wow. <laughs> So maybe once I'm in once I'm in a schedule with other people, I could get into a rhythm, perhaps. That has certainly been my experience. Okay. But, and I have also had other experiences. I had an apprentice who was actually a poster child for a major disease. And we got to the point where she really had to make a choice as to whether she wanted to have this disease or not. And she was really at the place where she could make that choice. And she said to me, with tears in her eyes, she says, I can't betray all the other people to whom I have become the emblem of this disease. Mm. She said, I'm going to have to continue to have this disease because of what I have allowed to happen. And she left her apprenticeship and we all understood. That's so sad. In a way it is, but in a way it's also very generous, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're, all, well. we're all doing absolutely the best we can with what we have. Yeah, definitely. So, welcome to the wonderful world of adaptogens. There's some great books on adaptogens. There's my course on adaptogens. You're going to be having a lot of fun in the coming months. Okay. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for everything you're doing. You are welcome. Call back anytime. Great blessings. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Kathleen Bo is a long-time LGBTQ activist. For those of you who do not know, that stands for Lesbian, Gay, Bi, Trans, Queer. She is one of the founding members of the LGBT wing of the San Francisco Public Library. I guess queers are not welcome and was vice president of the board of one of the oldest mental health nonprofit agencies serving the LGBTQ community with wife Kathleen. She won two bronze medals in same-sex ballroom dancing at the Gay Games in Cologne, Germany. Currently, Archambault serves as the secretary of the board of the 100-year-old Women's National Book Association San Francisco chapter. Thank you for that. She's a legacy donor to the University of Iowa Writers Workshop with a targeted scholarship for LGBTQ writers. After a thriving corporate career and adjunct professorship at several San Francisco universities, Kathleen is now working on a novel with a queer theme. She has published two nonfiction books on inspiring profiles of lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer icons and artists, and she lives in San Francisco. Now, I jumped into her introduction a minute early, because that minute certainly was not enough to entertain another question, and I'm hoping that she's here, but if she isn't, we will politely wait for her, because I'm a little bit early. Are you here yet? Yes, I am. Rebecca, what a lovely introduction. Thank you. This Susan. is Susan. Yes, lovely introduction. Well, I'm so happy to have you on the show, Kathleen. And uh, what a, a wonderful life of service that you have given to um, making sure that that as we were just saying with the last person, that every one of us feels respected and uh, that what we have to offer is good enough. I really appreciate that. So, Susan, do you do you have a question? Well, you are working on a novel. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> well, the name of the novel is Liberty Street, and it's about a... LGBTQ gay presidential candidate and I started it 10 years ago before that was even a possibility it's a story of love and loss it's a story of redemption and the creation of an alternative family when your biological family rejects you and it crosses boundaries and it crosses uh crosses countries as well. So I think it's going to be a very exciting and timely story as it turns out now. How prescient of you. So you think that there's particularly right now something that's important about this story that you're telling? Yes, I do. I think that uh, it's set in 2007 to 2012. So it's during the second Obama election campaign, 
before the advent of gay marriage, equal marriage in 2015. So all of the issues that came up for queer people at that time, everything from hospital visitation to power of attorney to retirement to uh, being rejected by countries to citizenship denial to uh, just a variety of rights and possibilities that were closed to LGBTQ folks at that time. And this is all woven into a very personal story of four friends and how these friends come together and form an alternative family. Sounds quite interesting. Do you have like a, what might be called a target market, particular people that you're hoping will read this? Well, I'm hoping it's going to be upmarket fiction, which is a combination of literary and contemporary fiction. And so like any good literary story, if it's a really particular story and a really good story, then everybody can see themselves in the story. So if you, for example, you're Maxine Hong Kingston and you're writing about growing up Chinese in California, if you're very specific about your story, everybody can see themselves in that story. Or if you're Sandra Cisneros with her book House on Mango Street, or if you're the U.S. Poet Laureate Joy Harjo talking about being Native American in such a way that is so specific that it's also universal. So that's that's what I'm hoping for in any event. I was so thrilled that Joy Harjo was recognized. I thought she was a big secret. It, you know, certainly she is she is one of the most amazing voices in today's contemporary lexicon of poetry and art. Absolutely. Just stunning and exactly as you say you know without having her experience without pretending in any way to have her experience nonetheless I find myself in her words yes yes I do as well so just like I'm thinking also of Jacqueline Woodson who uh, just won the National Book Award she writes so very specifically about growing up in Brooklyn and growing up and the difference between an upper middle class black family and a poor black family and the intersections of those classes, even within that minority. But she does it in such a way that the story transports all the readers into that experience. Well, at the beginning of the show, um, I mentioned that I sat down this afternoon, had a cup of tea, and read the new issue of Lesbian Connection, and um, that there was a letter there from a woman who said, that's it, I have had it with the alphabet soup, I'm a lesbian, I don't want the rest of the alphabet trailing along after me. And um, so I said that, that uh, perhaps you would tell us your take on that, 
I mean, to me, well, to me, it seems like gay has or queer has always, you know, pretty much like touched all the bases. For myself, lesbian has always done just fine, but queer is certainly fine. And I, uh, people have often said to me, "Well, you're bisexual, aren't you?" And I say, "No, I am pansexual." And I now see that other people have picked up on my term. Okay, you can use it. <laughs> <laughs> Sexual high. Yes. <laughs> so well, there are there are two schools of thought on that, and in my experience, one is LGBTQ covers kind of the gamut: lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, which can also mean questioning, and so it really encompasses all the various groups. The younger generation, the millennials, are using the word queer. They're reclaiming the word queer to be all-encompassing. And I'm careful how I use words. So, for example, if I'm going and speaking to a group of seniors, which I've done about my book, I don't use the word queer because it sets them on the defensive automatically Having grown up in the 50s and 60s, that group of people has been vilified using the word queer or dyke or some other pejorative, sissy, etc. So I don't use that word with them, and I use the alphabet suit to include everyone who might be in the audience. However, if I go to a youth center, as I've done in Santa Cruz and San Jose, and talk to a group of youth, I just simply use the shortcut of queer, and they're they're down with that. <laughs> right. So the alphabet is more neutral. That's right. It's more of an objective and all-inclusive uh, set of acronyms, if you will. And well, I would never just say to people that I'm a lesbian because I'm not. And I'm much bigger than that. Say more. Well, uh, I didn't start out as a lesbian. I started out as most young folks of my generation being uh, absolutely straight. And it wasn't a hardship. It was quite natural. As becoming a lesbian, if you will, was equally natural for me. So that's one thing. And the other thing is being a writer. I don't want to exclude any experience in my domain. So I cannot just sequester myself, even just to the LGBTQ community. I want to be part of the larger community as well. A woman of the world. One hopes. You know, I did grow up in San Francisco. I'm fourth generation San Franciscan. And the beauty of growing up in a city like that is it is like you are growing up as a global citizen. On my block alone, there was an Italian family across the street, a Greek family next door, a Chinese grocer, an Italian deli owner, and a Nicaraguan family a half a block away. So that was just 
within a block of where I lived. So it's a great way to grow up, really Im- embedded in so many other cultures. Yes, I often talk about how really wonderful it was at my primary school in Dallas, Texas, that there was um, a girl in my class who had a wooden leg. There was a boy in another class who was Down syndrome. There were kids with developmental delays, and they were not sequestered. They were in school with us in our classes. They were mainstreamed right with you. That's right, and we played with them, and we worked with them, and we learned to make way for them in whatever was needed. And it was, you know, it was like the advantage of having a legally blind mom who always used to laugh at us when we stumbled in the dark. She said, what's the matter with you all? Can't you see? Because she was great in the dark. <laughs> wow. So, so It does give you another store of empathy, doesn't it? It, it get, it's more than that. It gives you a way of knowing that every other human being is you. It's what you've been talking about all along. If we look out and see only other, then it's, life is kind of scary. And if we look out and we say, oh, there's another human being over there. What are their hopes? What are their fears? What are their challenges? And I suspect that that's part of what you're doing in the story that you're writing. Yes, yes. I'm trying to write a story in such a way that it tells uh, all the emotions that every everybody experiences, whether that's uh, rejection or acceptance or finding your peeps or uh, passions or you know, riding high on success and being crushed by defeat and uh, finding solace in friendship and finding solace in romance. And it's, it's all those feelings that come to the fore that everybody experiences. And with your background, I suspect that you will do a superb job of putting this into words. Now, I, if I can only get back to it and finish it. <laughs> that's a hard part. People say to me, oh, I'm going to sit down and write. I say, call me when your bathroom is clean. And they go, huh? <laughs> I say, you know, a month later they can say, oh, you were so right. You know, I, my bathroom has never been cleaner. I said, okay, now sit down and write. <laughs> mm. Right. I have a draft. I'm just rewriting at this Good. moment. So I'm I'm very close to finishing, but um I've had other pressing concerns particularly on Super Tuesday, the election today. Yes. Do tell what has happened. Well, uh I have friends at the polling places and I've been talking to them about what is happening in California and what is happening is many voters are coming in with a an absentee mail-in ballot that they haven't mailed and they're tearing it up and putting in a new ballot altogether. 
that's how much the events of the last few days have altered the landscape. My goodness. Well, we do live in interesting times. We do, but none of us can afford to be on the sidelines, in my opinion. I hear you. Each of us needs to be an activist. And at the very least, vote. At the very least, vote. I, you know, I feel that so deeply in my bones. As I mentioned, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and in the 50s. And as soon as I was old enough, which was seven or eight, to really understand what that line, you know, painted on the back of the bus meant, I went and sat behind it. Mm. Mm. Well, you were an activist as a kid then. Activism is in my blood, without a doubt. You know, as soon as as soon as I see it, I say, "Well, somebody has to do something. It's going to be me." Well, Texas is going to be a big influence in this election. It's half the electoral votes of California, and that's where many of these seminal announcements were made last night and the night before. So, Texas is going to be big. Texas is going to be big. I, 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 every time, every time I hear the word "seminal" used, I always replace it with "ovular." <laughs> okay, that's the kind of raving feminist I am. So, mm-hmm. you, you, do you, do you want people to get in touch with you? This is not a question I usually ask people because usually people are like selling something or has something and they really want people to get in touch with them. Do you, do you want the listeners to like come to your website or find you on Facebook? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, my website is the best entree into me and that's www.kathleen with a K R A R C H A M B E A U. Dot com, And if you come to the website, you'll find how you can contact me. But I can tell you right now, you can just email me at Kathleen Archambault, no periods, at gmail.com. If you want to buy my book or the other books I've written with co-authors, I wrote a book with a gay dad on the East Coast who was a millennial slash Gen X. And we can be found on Amazon. We have two books about LGBTQ issues. One is called Pride and Joy, LGBTQ Artists, Icons, and Everyday Heroes. And in that book, I interviewed 30 really important people in the the movement, uh, including Rick Welts, the president and CEO of the Golden State Warriors basketball team, the first NBA executive to come out and still the only one. Uh, Richard Blanco, who was Obama's inaugural poet, the first youngest immigrant gay poet to read. Uh, Emma Donahue, who wrote Room, which uh, was nominated for an Academy Award. Carolina de Robertis, who just has a new book out called Contoras, uh, all of her books published by Knopf, award-winning writer from Uruguay, Uruguayan Roots. 
Lori Rubin, who is a blind mezzo-soprano. And if you've ever heard her sing, uh, she's amazing. She's the protege of uh, Frederica von Stada. Kate Kendall, who was the former National Center for Lesbian Rights Executive Director. Leanne Pittsburgh, who's the founder of Lesbians Who Tech, and on and on. So you can find me at Kathleen Archambault on Amazon, and you can find the second book I wrote with Eric Rosswood called We Make It Better, also on Amazon or IndieBound, either one. Thank you. Glad I asked. What do you like I'm about- glad you did. <laughs> what do you like about writing? I love words, and I love to write. Um, I was raised by an Irish Catholic mother who did not have a formal education in terms of beyond high school, but who read literature and poetry and spoke Latin and knew the Latin roots of all the words and proper grammar. And so I fell in love with words very young. I had a grandmother who lived with us who was a great storyteller. And as you probably know, if you've ever traveled to Ireland, everyone is a storyteller, from the bus driver to the retail clerk to the waitress to the priest. Everyone is a storyteller. So it's really in my bones to be a storyteller. Yes, and since we don't sit around the, the fire anymore to tell stories, the raconteur must become the writer. Well, if you're lucky enough, you have a few people who listen to your stories as well. <laughs> well, it, for me, it's the hard part of the writing is that it's so solitary, and the storyteller is, is so much involved in community. And so what I do is I gather, you know, my, my community around me. I really, you know, think of and remember and bring up um, all of the, the people who say, wow, you know, what you've done influences me. So that I, I, in my solitary writing, I have a sense of community. I think you have to have both, that's for sure. Yes, it's you know, to to really, and I'm so with you, you know, I was really maligned that I chose to take Latin rather than Spanish. And yet... And now aren't you glad you did? I have always been glad. I knew from the from the jump, and I believe me, I am passing that on, have passed that on to my daughter and my granddaughter. Because it, it to me, it is the magic in the words. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love um, songs. Following them back to see, oh, this this one comes from this part, you know, of mm-hmm. my hearing. This one comes from from that part, and how do how do I use them? How do they? How do you use them to cross those borders? Well, and if you have Latin or Greek as a foundation, you can pretty much suss out any word's meaning, because those are the two major influences of the English language. Oh, I am having such a good time talking to you and learning about you. What haven't I asked you that you want to talk about? Well, I think why did I write this book? And 
um, the reason I wrote this book is in spite of all the breakthroughs for the LGBTQ community, 95% of LGBTQ youth still report having trouble sleeping at night. 92% have heard negative comments about themselves either at school or in their homes. And this is across 12,000 respondents, 13, ages 13 to 17. In the transgender community, things are even worse. For those who grow up in unsupportive families, of which many do, 45% have experienced homelessness at one time or another. 54% have attempted suicide. And 50% are currently experiencing serious psychological distress. So there's still a lot of work to be done. I certainly can't, even in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is extremely liberal, I can't walk down any street arm in arm with my wife. Even saying the word wife takes many people aback. So the ease with which people can cross into various communities is is still not there. And we need positive and inspiring role models who are are not the stereotype. So not LGBTQ folks who traditionally in movies and in theater ended up <clears throat> committing suicide or murder or being imprisoned. What I wrote about in my book, Pride and Joy, is queer folks who were living creative, fulfilling, openly gay lives. And many of them had marriages. Many of them had children. Many of them were well regarded in their fields and in their communities. And so I wanted queer youth to be able to see themselves in the stories of these that I featured. Now, the cool thing is that many of my straight friends who read my book, they too were inspired because their feeling was if these folks could overcome these colossal barriers to inclusion, surely they could get through whatever they were trying to get through on any given day. It's true. And I would just like to add one thing to your statistics, which is that if we did indeed add the statistics of sleeplessness and mental disturbances and even suicide among teenage girls who consider themselves straight, the numbers would be as higher, higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we put so much pressure on girls to be all that. There's a great video by Cynthia Nixon, the Tony Award-winning actress who was uh, featured as the lawyer Miranda in Sex in the City. And this New York actress, she has put together a very disturbing but provocative video about the expectations of girls and women. They're, they're impossible, basically. We're supposed to be virgins. We're supposed to be whores. We're supposed to be sexy. We're not supposed to be sexy. You know, it's just... She goes on and on. You can get it on YouTube. 
And the other person who's done a lot of great work in this area of documentary filmmaking is Governor Gavin Newsom's wife and first partner, Jennifer Siebel Newsom, who's a documentary filmmaker. And she founded an organization called Misrepresentation. And she has used her documentary films to call out both the stereotypes of macho men and the stereotypes of seductive women that have created a culture of violence between the genders. So take a look at her website, Misrepresentation, and she has some amazing uh, documentary films and ads that she ran during Super Bowl. And uh, so this this work is being done. Yes. And yes. things and are slowly changing. Again, thank you for the time and the effort and the attention and the words that you have put out and continue to put out. What's the name of the new book that will be soon? Liberty Street. Liberty Street. Mm-hmm. Liberty Street. Okay, we will await that. And we have come, amazingly enough, to the end of the show, to the time when I ask you, what do you want to leave in the minds and the hearts of everyone who has been listening to you tonight? As Oscar Wilde, the famous gay literary giant, said, be yourself, everyone else is taken. <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> and and I suspect that it's one of those truncated quotes, you know, like happy as a clam is truncated. It's really happy as a clam at high tide. Mm. Uh, I suspect that Oscar actually said, be yourself, everyone is taken with me. <laughs> well, <laughs> I I don't know, but, uh, but he certainly but was a wit. He was indeed, uh, you know, qu- he was quite taken with himself. So how wonderful that he knew that. Kathleen with a K. Kathleen with a K. Arshambo, you said it perfectly, Susan. Thank you. Welcome. A-R-C-H-A-M-B-E-A-U. My French is pretty bad, but my pronunciation is good. <laughs> and um, you, she wants you to get in touch with her. Go to her website, Kathleen with a K, Arshambo, or just at Gmail. It's easy to get in touch. And thank you for helping us reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. Each of us is adding strands, and I see a really amazing design element that you have brought to this, Kathleen. It's quite intriguing. Thank you so much. And And thank you. You're welcome, Rebecca. Thank you for helping me restore herbal medicine as people's medicine. Yeah, I was at a a big herb conference, and uh, there was a, a big tiff about my being a turf and uh, I went to a, a workshop on uh, fruits and berries of America. When I got there, it did not look like a Native American woman giving a workshop on uh, fruits and berries. 
it looked like five people sitting in the room, and I said, hi. And they said, what do you want? And I said, I workshop on fruits and berries. And they said, well, that's not it. She couldn't come. And I said, oh, what are you doing? And they said, well, we're talking about herbs that can be used uh, when you're transitioning. And I sat down, and I said, oh, that's great. I've been, you know, part of the transitional community for over 35 years since the first MD asked me that question, what herbs can be used for people who want to transition. I'm really interested to hear, you know, what are you doing? And they said to me, and they well, have you? And I said, no, no, I you know, was born a female, I'm a female. They said, you're not welcome, get out of here. Wow. Hmm. And so I, I did, I got up and I left and I turned and I said, um, acceptance, I'm not feeling it. yourself because you are important whoever you are that's what Kathleen Archambault wants us to remember green blessings and good night everybody good night thank you good night Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.